Thank you, choir musicians, for blessing us this morning. Uh, I want to invite you to take your Bible and open it to the book of Titus, the book of Titus. Again, if you don't have uh, your Bible with you, there's some Bibles either right in front of you in the back of that pew or underneath where you are. Uh, please, 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 please get one of those Bibles and open it to Titus. If, if you're not exactly sure where Titus is, go to Hebrews and turn left. And it'll be a couple of pages just before Hebrews, right before the little book of Philemon. Making the gospel look good. I forgot something very important last Sunday morning, and I, I want to give it to you of first order this morning. I have an, a homework assignment for you. I, I can tell some of you are thinking back to your school days, and uh, you're not excited about that. But this is a good homework assignment for you. Here's what I would like for you to do, and I really encourage you to do this, do this because it will infinitely enhance your time of worship as we study the Word of God together on Sunday morning over these next few weeks, Lord willing. I want you to read the book of Titus once a day at least. Just read it through the whole book. Three chapters. I asked Janet uh, the other day, I said, help me, help me with this. Sit down and read the book of Titus. Now, she's not an exceptionally fast reader. She's a, basically a normal pace reader. And she read the book of Titus in just under five minutes. So I believe you can probably find five minutes to sit down with your Bible and read the book of Titus once a day. Okay, would you do that? Yes, thank you very much. That was half-hearted. <laughs> or half of you, I'm not sure which one. But let me please encourage you to do that because we want to look at this book in depth as we consider this subject of making the gospel look good. Boy, I appreciate the music that David found for us today and that, especially that first song that just goes right along with the theme of what we're looking at here today. So look, at, look with me at the first four verses that we began last Sunday morning, the first four verses of Titus. Follow along with me there. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Again, I'll say, wow, there's a whole lot packed in that little dear Titus <laughs> as we would do it in our letters today. Maybe you will remember last Sunday morning, we saw the first point. There are four points that I want you to see today about the gospel. When we say we want to make the gospel look good, it's so important for us to make sure what gospel we know that, that we're talking about, the true gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there are four points that Paul makes here that I think uh, are keys to us in rem remembering that. Now, last week we looked at the first one. The gospel is a transforming gospel. And you can perhaps remember we talked about Moses, the murderer who came out of Egypt. David, the murderer 
who was a man after God's own heart. And here Paul, Paul, a Jewish terrorist who is going about breathing threats and murder against Christians. And all of these people were transformed by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. The transformation of the gospel that takes place in every heart that comes to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And, and like I said last week, we could, if we wanted to, we could just take time and, and have, have pop-up testimonies of people sharing with what we used to be like before we came to know Christ and, and the transformation that's happened in our lives to who we are now as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So first of all, the gospel is a transforming gospel. We see this in Paul, as he says here, this former murderer of Christians is now a servant of God and an apostle, a chosen called sent one of the Lord Jesus Christ. What an amazing truth for us to be reminded of. Now, the second point that I'd like you to see that I believe Paul makes here about the gospel is that the gospel is a transferable gospel. It is a transferable gospel. Paul, up until the point of his meeting Jesus Christ on that Damascus road, had lived his life for himself. Let me just read what Paul said about his former life before he knew Jesus. And he tells us this in the third chapter of Philippians. He said, uh, if anyone thinks he has confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. That's what Paul used to be like, he says. But he said, he went on to say, I count it all as lost, as loss for the sake of knowing Jesus Christ, my Savior. He used to live for himself, but for whom, let me I'll make sure I get the grammar correct here. For whom does he now live? He tells us that. He says, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect, <coughs> excuse me, and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began. Paul now lives for the sake of others. Maybe you'll remember I, I preached a couple of months ago on, on Philippians chapter 1 when Paul was talking to the church at Philippi and he was talking about how he wanted to go and be with Jesus. Remember he said it was to go be with Jesus uh, uh, versus staying here on this earth. He said to go be with Jesus was much more better. That's what it says in the Greek, by the way, just so you know. But Paul, he had that desire. He had seen the third heaven, he tells us in Corinthians. And he wanted to go back there. But he said to them that God had shown him very clearly that it was more necessary, watch this, for their sake, for their sake, for him to remain. And that's what he says again here to Titus, that he is now living his life for the sake of Others. Now, who are these others that he's talking about? He says, for the faith, for the sake of the faith of God's elect. So we have to understand and know who are God's elect, who are the elect. Well, in biblical terms, the elect are the saints. 
Now, when we talk about saints from a biblical standpoint, we're not talking about people who died who did some kind of special thing when they were alive and after they died, they got declared a saint. Biblically speaking, those are not saints. A saint is anyone who knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. A saint is anyone who knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Now, some, I know some Christians who, they, and, and they try to adopt this, this humble attitude. Well, you know, I, I, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, but, but I'm no saint. Yes, you are. The Bible says you, the, the word is hagias, it means holy one. You are one who has been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You didn't make yourself a saint. God made you a saint. Say amen again. That's a real good place right there. So every believer is a saint. The saints are God's elect. I like to, to explain to people who are saying, well, who are the elect? The best way to know who the elect are is something that we won't know until it's all over. And that is that everybody who makes it to heaven, all of that multitude that the Bible talks about in Revelation, all of those people, they are the elect. You say, well, somebody might say, well, how do I know whether so-and-so is elect or not? Well, number one, it's not our job to try to figure that out. That's not for us to do. Our job is to tell the gospel to every single person on the face of the earth. We don't pick and choose about who the elect are. But ultimately, how do you know whether someone's elect? The bottom line is by what they do with Jesus Christ. Now, you may not know that for a long time. <laughs> they may not believe right now, but they'll believe later. We don't figure that out. The only way we ever know whether someone is, is one of the elect, and all through the New Testament, especially Revelation, we hear this term, the elect, so we have to like the term. And, and, and that's what God, it's a term that's used to show that our salvation doesn't come from something that we do, it comes from God. Hear me. 100% of the credit for your salvation, Christian, or my salvation as a Christian, 100% of the credit goes to God. None of it goes to me. So Paul is living for these people called the elect. And, and what does it say? It says it's for the sake of the faith of God's elect. So he's an apostle for the sake of the faith of God's elect. All these people that are Either Christians are going to be Christians. Uh, Paul is living his life as an apostle for the sake of their faith. Now, what does that mean? What is the faith of, of God's elect? Well, the bottom line, when you look at that, is it's what we're talking about in this whole uh, study of Titus. The faith is the gospel. Jude wrote a little letter over right before Revelation at the end of the New Testament. And Jude said to the Christians, he said, I'm encouraging you to contend for, quote, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So the faith idea there is, is this body of truth, this body of doctrine about the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have to wonder about what is this body of doctrine? Where can we find this body of doctrine? That's the body of doctrine that's in this book. So in a sense, this book is the faith. When we're contending for the faith once for all delivered to the saints, we're talking about the scripture and the teaching of the scripture. But also there's this idea of the faith of, uh, of the elect is their personal faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was called as an apostle 
to share the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, so that people would come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That was what Paul was doing. That's how he was living his life. Notice, <laughs> it says <coughs> he's living for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. Now, what does that mean? Some might read that and say, well, that means they've got it all figured out. They know all the true facts that need to be known. I don't think that's what Paul's talking about. I like what one writer said. He said the words knowledge of truth, it means that the words in Scripture are more about being in a convinced and committed relationship with God than about having a head full of religious facts. There's a little verse I think that sheds some light on what the real meaning of this idea of the knowledge of truth is. Remember in the upper room on the night before his death when Jesus was there with the disciples and he said, he said don't be discouraged, I'm going away you, and, and I'm gonna come again and receive you to myself. And then he said, and you know the way where I'm going. And one of the disciples, Thomas, his hand shot up. Thomas said, Lord, we don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? And what did Jesus say? Jesus said, I am the way. And here we go, the truth and the life. Bottom line, when Paul talks about coming to a knowledge of the truth, he's talking about coming to a knowledge of Jesus Christ himself as the truth. We Christians can understand the truth because we have come to a knowledge of the truth, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul is living his life. Well, oh, well, one other comment. He says, and this faith of, this, of the elect and this, this knowledge of the truth of the elect accords with godliness. It accords with godliness. Now remember we're talking about in the overall theme of this that, we're, that we want to keep in mind is to adorn the gospel, to make the gospel look good, to live out the gospel. So we're talking about what is the true gospel. When the gospel gets corrupted or perverted, when the gospel is wrong, it usually leads to one of two errors. One of those first would be the error of legalism. Now, when we talk about legalism in this sense related to the gospel, what we're talking about is someone who believes or thinks that we can earn our salvation, or let me say that another way, that we can earn our acceptance by God by something that we do ourselves. That at bottom line is what legalism is. Legalism is trying to earn favor with God by what you do. But what does Paul say about that in Ephesians? He says, for by grace have you been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of what? Works, not of works. So it's not our works that lead us into salvation and lead us into a right relationship with God being accepted by him. That's the error of legalism. What's the other area that comes when the gospel gets perverted? It's the area of what I would call license, 
license. That's the idea that thinking if grace or because grace is so amazing and grace covers everything, then it doesn't matter how I live at all. Well, that's a lie. It does matter how we live. The true gospel, which Paul is pointing to here to Titus, the true gospel always leads to a life of godliness. The true gospel always leads to a life of godliness. So Paul can say that he's living his life for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Now, all of this is under that heading, the transferable gospel. Paul makes it very clear that he himself is living in order to transfer the gospel to others. And that's the way you and I ought to be living. There's a term for that, that First Baptist Church San Francisco ought to be aware of. I'm going to do a pop quiz here. Living our life in order to transfer the gospel to others or transferring the gospel to others would fall under the heading of, fill in the blank. Who said that? Glory, hallelujah. The very first one I read. Say it real loud. Disciple making. Have you heard anything about that lately? All last fall, <laughs> under Pastor Ryan, you studied disciple-making. Okay, church, this is it. Do you see what Paul's saying? Paul was transformed by the gospel, and since he was transformed by the gospel, now he's going to live his life transferring that gospel to others, which means disciple-making. Now, that includes engaging others with the gospel. It includes evangelizing, leading them to a knowledge of Jesus as Lord and Savior. Does it stop there? No, it doesn't. It goes on to equipping them to live a life that they ought to live with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the whole process of disciple-making. And the Bible says that only apostles are supposed to be disciple-makers. I just want to see if you're awake. <laughs> Not. The disciple says, if you bear the name Christian, you're supposed to be a disciple maker. Every one of us. So God intends for his gospel to be transferred by us to, the, to others. We've got to move along here. Transforming gospel, transferable gospel. The third thing that we see about the gospel here in Oh, my goodness, this is so rich. Um, it is a transcendent gospel, a transcendent gospel. Now, I want you to see this, and I'm going to have to kind of hurry through it, but I want you to see this. What, look at verse 2. In hope of eternal life. Now, wait, 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 wait. I've got to draw a picture for you here. Okay, I'm going to start right over here with this edge, this corner right here. Okay, this is going to be a timeline that's going to go that way. So right here represents creation. The beginning for us, for okay, you with me? And we'll let the pulpit represent uh, the cross of Jesus Christ, which I'm going to say is kind of stands at the center of all history, okay? And then this corner is going to represent the end of time when Jesus comes again, okay? Are you with me? 
Just to make sure you're with me. So out here is eternity future. Okay? And way over here, it's pretty good for an old guy. <laughs> way over here, out here is eternity past. Are you with me? Are you with me? Okay. So this is eternity past. It, it, it doesn't end. Okay? Now why am I making such a big, big deal about that? Because it talks about it right here in Titus chapter 1. In hope of eternal life. Where is eternal life? Well, 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 well. It starts somewhere here. It starts somewhere here. Where we come. If you're a Christian, you have eternal life right now. But it continues how far? To here? Whoosh. Eternity future. No end. Okay, good. You're with me. All right. That's eternal life. That's future. Which God, who never, never lies, promised... Before the ages began. That ought to raise a question for you. Are you with me? I'm sorry I'm getting out of sight of some of you people up here. Okay, hi. If creation is right here and everything started right here and God promised eternal life before the ages began... Who did he promise it to back here? You see, sometimes when you read the Bible, you've got to start thinking a little deeper. I want to tell you what I think the answer is, and I think the Scripture supports this. I think God the Father promised it to God the Son. Now, why do I think that? Let me go. I'm just going to go back to one place. There's several places that, that the Bible talks about this. John chapter 17. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples and he's praying. And he says in verse 2, Father, you gave me authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me. Verse 9, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. Verse 11, and I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me. I, I don't have time to go into all the scripture, but here's the beautiful picture that before the ages began, God the Father gave a love gift to God the Son. And that love gift was a bride. And one day when Jesus comes again and there's the consummation of all things, that bride, that love gift that was given before the ages began, that bride, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be presented to him in all of its glorious beauty and spotlessness. Not spotless because we and ourselves are spotless, but spotless because we have been made righteous by the Lord Jesus Christ. And that gift is going to be consummated and given to Christ for all of eternity. And then he says in verse 3, and at the proper time. So see what we have here? We have the past and the future and the proper time. 
is the present, right now. Or Paul is writing in his present. At the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God, our Savior. So, my goodness, he's just saying, dear Titus here. And he's got this eternal truth of the gospel that it's for past, present, and future. That's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got to move on. Number four. Number four. I'll hurry, I promise. The gospel is a touching gospel. Now, what do I mean by touching? I don't mean emotional, like a Hallmark movie is emotional and touching. I mean touching in the sense of connecting, connecting. The gospel connects us not only to the Lord Jesus Christ, but to one another. Notice he says, in verse 4, to Titus, my true child in a common faith. Two things he's saying there about their connection. They're connected in a common family and they're connected in a common faith. What is the family? It's the family of God. It's that chosen race, that royal priesthood, that holy nation. It, and the fourth thing it says there in 1 Peter 2, 9 is a people for God's own possession. If we look over in verse 14 of chapter 2 in Titus, we get this gospel in a nutshell again, talking about Jesus who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness. He redeemed us and to purify us. He purified us, a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Jesus, oh my goodness. Oh, wow, and I just don't have enough time to go into this. God the Father gave God the Son the gift of his bride. And Jesus came and paid the price for the gift. He bought us, the Bible says, with his own precious blood. That's what he did for us. So we have a common family. We're in the family of God and a common faith. We already talked about from Jude. Contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. That common faith is that body of truth about the Lord Jesus Christ, the scripture as we know it. But it's also another thing. I want you to turn to this and you can just go there and we'll, we'll close pretty quick. Go to the book of Second Peter with me. One of the most amazing over toward the, toward the end of your Bible, 2 Peter chapter 1. One of the most amazing statements, if you stop and think about it, in the whole Bible. And this is Peter talking. Now remember Peter, one of the 12 disciples of Jesus, the leader of the group really. He was always kind of the spokesman for the group. And on the day of Pentecost, when they gathered there and, and, and they were... Uh, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they went out. Who was it that stood up? It was Peter who stood up and preached that day. I mean, Peter is the leader of the group. <coughs> and he's writing to people here in 2 Peter, to Christians. And I hope you believe he's not just writing to the first readers of his letter, but he's also writing to us. God has preserved his word for us. Can you, would you agree that? Okay. So he's writing it to you and to me, Christians. He's writing it to us, okay? And he says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours 
What? What? Peter? Simon? Peter? The one that Jesus called a rock? The leader of the disciples? The apostle? Says that each Christian in this room has an equal faith as him? I don't know about you, but that blows me away. I mean, we, these guys are apostles. The gospel is that the grace of God is equal for every one of us. Let's pray. Oh, Father, sometimes teaching your word is, <laughs> I just feel like it's so inadequate, so inadequate to present your glory in every way through your word. But I pray, God, today we'll see the glory of, that you've revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ for us. Help us, help us, help us. And help us, Lord, to live our lives as Christians, as people who have the same standing of faith as the apostles. Help us to live our lives in such a way that your gospel will look good in us. Help us to transfer it to others. Would you just pray for a minute? And first of all, thank God for the glory of the gospel in your life. And then ask him to show you how you can live in a way that makes the gospel look good.